Welcome, neighbor, to Folk U Radio, Folk University's talk show, taking old school viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring Hello, neighbor, and welcome to Folk U Radio, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness, in slow learning, in using our interests, our skills, and our beliefs as a way of connecting and bringing each other closer in community. This season is dedicated to what is essential. What are the skills, the knowledge, and resources we most need to be a resilient community member of the future? Art, in its many forms, has come up again and again as an essential part of our community both now and in the future that many of us hope to inhabit. Today, we will be meeting two neighbors, Beatrix and Julie, who are doing just that with the creation of Windows, an arts journal. Where are you listening from today, neighbor? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land, the water, the air, where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Clahoos, the Kla'aman, and the Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who have walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work and care and honor this place we call home. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. I'm hoping maybe you can um, each say your say your name um, so that listeners can start to hear your voices. Uh, so I'm Amanda, which you all know. <laughs> Hi, I'm Beatrix. I'm just going to play around and say I'm Julian today. All right. I like it. And maybe I'll remember and, you know, who knows. If, if I don't, you can correct me. <laughs> so Julian and Beatrix, I'm really, really thrilled to have you here. And I am thrilled to be seeing and, and, and soon to be groping um, a copy of Windows, which I know has been long in the, in the creation phase. And I thought maybe we could just start with like the tiniest introduction to what this actually is and then I'm hoping each of you will take turns telling us how you got to the moment where where this is the thing that you wanted to birth into the world at this time um yeah so what we have right here is I'm holding a nine by twelve 76-page, full-color, brilliantly colored volume of um, art, creative writing, sculpture, photography, painting, just some of the most beautiful work um, in, bound together in a volume. And it's I'm holding it in my hands. It's got a really nice weight to it. It's got a really beautiful, um, dark, kind of spooky and mysterious painting on the cover welcoming you to 
spiral down into the dark art of uh, of publishing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like you've done this before. (laughs) Trying to explain um, something that we usually experience primarily visually on the radio is a beautiful art form that I get to watch people come in and actually excel at. And that was one of the better versions I've ever seen. So well done. Um, So let's start with you, Beatrix. Tell me, like, how? Like, how did you get here what is your relationship with art why why express it through um, not just the creation of a journal but the creation of the dark island arts collective which i just want to say a lot (laughs) (laughs) yes uh thank you for that question it's a big one and i i don't know where to start because i guess I'm I'm celebrating my seventh year of being here on the Dark Island um, and seven years of being friends with Julie because when I rolled up on the on the beach at Lytothin with Travis, my partner, um, we were in a sailboat and we were we were like, where are we? (laughs) (laughs) We were we had just been out on the water for two months and kind of in this alternate reality um, just the two of us. And so we had pulled up onto the beach and guess who was walking by but Julie. I, I was rowing by. <laughs> oh. I was rowing by in a I, rowboat. That's so interesting because I definitely remember you walking by, but maybe you pulled up onto the shore? I may have like walked by to the rowboat, gotten in the rowboat, and then rowed by. But I remember you more clearly when I rowed by. And Sweet Pea the dog was with you. Mm-hmm. And it just was a wonderful welcoming party of Julie, Julian and, and Sweet Pea. And um, yeah, so we've had seven years to be in relationship with each other and with this place that we have both come to call home. Um, and we learned pretty early on that we both were really interested in art and had our own creative art practices and that we both were really interested in not just creating art, but also critiquing it, talking about it in in great depth. Um, And yeah, so we've always tried to create space in our relationship, I think, and also uh, within our friendship groups and, and the community for discussing what it means to have an art practice or what, what is meaningful art um, and so I think that's sort of where the Dark Islands Art Collective came from, was a group of friends uh, who just started to meet and talk about what we were working on and talk about what we we're being inspired by in the world um, and also what was frustrating to us or what wasn't, uh, what wasn't working. And then, yeah, I, I want to turn it over to Julian for the discussion of where the the art journal itself came from because that was birthed by you, I think. Um, yeah, I was on the beach. I was sitting on the beach and just thinking about how to like support my own art practice and 
also to like make that a larger thing that supports other people's art practices too because it can feel really hard here when there's like such a push towards well all the things that need to be done like all the practical things that need to be done um day to day when you're living rurally and without a lot of the conveniences that we have in the city and then like i think art gets sort of swallowed up a little bit in those things sometimes and like there are really amazing um initiatives like what manda's doing and there's lot there are lots of amazing initiatives but it's easy to feel isolated from them as well because of just the way that we're separated by our long driveways and not having community or collective spaces at this time so it's just kind of like a dream that I'm really really glad um that a couple people especially Beatrix and also Morgan Tams got involved in and and excited about and support started supporting the idea and yeah having those folks who really like were um prepared to step into it in like a really realistic way um like Morgan really helped a lot with getting the um grant that we the micro grant that we got from y'all <laughs> and once we had the micro grant we were like we've got this thousand dollars and now we have to do something with it for real <laughs> um but yeah it was like a beautiful dream and art for me is like um really intrinsic to I think like my survival which sounds a little bit melodramatic maybe but I think is also really true like that I need it and like a, a lot of the time that I've lived here it's been missing because of like just getting into the like learning how to live rurally and and losing a lot of what I had in the city like around arts connectivity and making and showing and all of the things that I had going on in the city that I really lost when I moved here and this has um been really um bringing that back into my life in a beautiful way being inspired by the other folks who are involved in the, or have um contributed to the magazine doing interviews with folks and hearing about their like lifelong art practices it is so inspiring and has like really propelled my own art practice in the last little while as well I just have to take a moment to reflect on that because I do think um like one of the things I find because I'm a working writer um and that's my art as well as do all these things running around crazy in the community and I think Folk University has been amazing about community building and maybe even shining light on artists but I still feel largely that my community experience is kind of like in conflict with my art practice mm -hmm. so I really love this this like what do you do if the ultimate goal is to support artists to connect to collaborate to grow us in in that experience of ourselves um and it needs its own thing right and it, so that we our lives are so full here and really are sucked up by a lot of just living <laughs> so thank you i just feel like it's a beautiful gift and it does start easing it off like it feels more possible because you've done this so so can you um uh maybe starting with you julian and then going to you if you're uh beatrix tell us a little bit about your own art practice like how are you expressing art and has that shifted at all um through through this time and this creation um in a lot of different ways right now um i i've always drawn a lot and 
often uh, making drawings feeds into like a a kind of gifting practice, a correspondence gifting practice. I'll send quite a few letters with drawings and found poems, found pieces of art, and sometimes my own words too, letters. Um, and music is a really big part of my art practice right now. Um, writing poetry and writing songs with the poems that I write and playing them. Um, and then I started like imagining and, and working on some more like sculptural work lately too. That's a little bit more like long-term and um, a lot of experimentation. I'm not going to go really into that right now, but it feels really good to be working in a more conceptual way. And the, I guess like the um, idea with the sculptural project I'm working on or the sort of center of it is around like care and oppression and the fine line between them. And um, oh, I could probably say more about my art practice. Think, I think like there are so many things that feed into my art practice and it's hard to movement is like really big moving creatively and singing with others um yeah <laughs> pass it to Beatrix <laughs> thanks um yeah I guess when I lived in the city um in Edmonton that's where I in Treaty 6 territory is where I was raised and then moved um out to the to the coast to Coast Salish territories and I think when I lived in the city, especially when I was younger, like at the end, at edge of my teen years and into my 20s, I just was so angry at what I considered to be wastefulness and degradation and the lack of dignity afforded to other human beings and other life ways. And I would just stalk around the city at night and just be collecting pieces of trash and garbage and turning them into kind of sculptural pieces and and just feeling so much desperation for people to at that time I guess like I wanted them to wake up and um, so I would create kind of larger scale interactive sculpture pieces like one I did which my dad helped me with so much it's called the maze and it was it was shown at the works festival in Edmonton in, in 2009 um, and it was this giant maze and you walked through it. It was like all wrapped in chicken wire and, and was super t like small. So you had to kind of crouch walk through it as an adult. And there was TVs like blaring either white noise or this, like this film that I'd made driving around the city and just showing, cause it's Edmonton. There's like so much industrial landscape there. There's, uh, you know, the refineries, there's gas stations, there's traffic, you know, it's just very much a car-centric, consumerist city that's just spreading out across the prairies, like what I would consider a virus. But <laughs> yeah, so it was this video that was just angry and just relentless and you had to walk through and you come out of that, that kind of crouched down maze, like in almost a panic, which is kind of mean to put people through that. But that's what I was feeling. And I wanted people to feel it with me. And then you come out into this like white room with cool fans blowing air. And there was in the corner a little fish tank with goldfish and a tree growing out of 
it was like in an old TV and there was soil kind of spilled out on the ground. And, and then it just was an invitation to just kind of um, think about, I don't know, it was, I think, an invitation that we don't have to keep creating spaces that cause those feelings, those kind of panicked feelings that we can invent new spaces that are created within the decay of what we used to. Uh, anyway, so that that's sort of like an idea of what I what I like to do or what I needed to do in the city. <laughs> but when I <clears throat> chose to come out here and I'm an uninvited guest in these territories and knowing that and orienting myself to the island from that way, it kind of took, it's not the same story. And I had a really difficult time trying to conceive of myself as an artist in, in a place where I knew I hadn't been invited to be here, but I am here. And these, ter these lands and, and this island have been stolen from people and people have died here and there's been a genocide here. And, and so I started, I, I think I just backed away completely from having a personal art practice for many years. And then I really wanted to ground into my own ancestral lineage. So I've been, my art practice is more, I guess, around singing and Julian and I sing in a Gaelic, international Gaelic group. Um, and our teacher is from Glengarry County in Ontario. Um, and she, yeah, she's been teaching us laments and mouth music and working music, like walking songs and, and songs you would sing while you're milking. So these, these are the kind of, this is where I'm kind of more stepping into is the idea of art not just being a cry or an expression of my own individualism, but as a cultural practice that embeds me into relationship and community and place and so I would say that's sort of more where I'm moving I love it of course I thought about a hundred different folk you things I want to do <laughs> based on everything you just said like I, I mean come on we need to learn all those laments and working songs and what do you sing after you've killed something like for you know food like we need those so many times people say if only so oh so we've, we've got some <laughs> future programming to do and um, I, I I don't know if this is enough notice but um you have a, a beautiful piece in here about um I, I believe about this the journal um sort of a meta piece and I I really want you to read it uh, <laughs> or to read from it depending on what you so uh you know if you need a moment to, to, do you need a moment to prepare? No, no, it's okay. You're, you're prepared. I love it. <laughs> Dearest Dark Island, I was sitting on the beach very early last spring, surrounded by beauty, human and non-human, and again thinking about what place there is for art in this community. One of the first images that came to mind on that day was from the children's book, Little Grey Rabbit's Party. As the story goes, Little Grey Rabbit and her two furry companions are walking through the woods, pass by the home of some humans, and see that there is a party afoot. They peek into the window and watch children play party games, and they are inspired. Little Grey Rabbit and her pals immediately go home and plan a party of their own. Here on this island of self-sufficient and independent folks, and especially amid a pandemic, we don't get too many peeks into the creative lives of our neighbors. The poet Naomi Shihab Nye talks about poetry being a boat that can hold us, cradle us in difficult times, 
to use a single word as an oar that could get you through the day. An intention here is to offer such oars, soothed when life is challenging and propelled towards our own creative practices with the awareness that we are together in them. As ecologist and writer Robin Wall Kimmerer says of books, every book has a story, whether we know how to read it yet or not. A book is an invitation to see the world through another's eyes. Similarly, all art forms are invitations to communication and deeper understanding. It is my hope that this small offering will be a window and or and an invitation toward understanding and being inspired by one another. I, I, I love it. It's so beautiful. And, and you know, I mean, I think this is one of the things that... Like I have personally spent a lot of time reflecting upon during the pandemic times, um, which is just like what to me what we have sacrificed through history for art, um, and by art I'm using it in that kind of capital A way, right? Like for being able to express that thing about us that is both very uniquely ours, but also is in some ways, like an anchor line or mm -hmm. a connecting, an invitation. It's an invitation to be connected um, mm -hmm. to others because otherwise, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's both. I feel like that's what big art is. And, and I feel like we have hugely sacrificed for it as a people. And so to me, and, and that's just not to me, like I've put out this call of like, what is essential? What is essential? I keep asking and I want to hear from you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> you being the reader and all those else. Like, what is essential? What is it that we need to be having conversations about, working towards, continuing to collaborate on? And again and again, people say art, their own version. They may, you know, maybe they say it long, maybe they say it short. But um, so... And while that's all happening, my own art practice has really, like, I have suffered um, as an artist through this time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think about that a lot, like what, like all the people who created art through wars, through, um, through genocides, through loss, through starvation, through um, past disease and pandemics and and I'm like, what do you see? Are people creating art? Are they creating art more or less differently? What did the artists that you spoke with say just about that, about this moment in history and what it means to try to speak through it? I think, um, yeah, when Jul Julian and I put the call out to people to contribute their work to this journal, we were we weren't too specific about we had an idea a very specific idea of what we were hoping the journal would kind of represent which is what what Julian was saying about this kind of this feeling of peeking into through the window of our neighbor's art studio and seeing what they were working on and i think also maybe like as a as a an additional goal we wanted to explore isolation because we were we were having this sensation of all of us being um yeah privately going away at our our work and our art and our creative process and and not really having opportunities to connect and show work and talk about work um 
and talk about what you're talking about with uh, what is essential and and when you are taking up space by presenting work um, or talking about art uh, if it isn't essential like why are you doing it kind of thing um, and so we wanted to we wanted to pull people out of their isolation and contextualize their work and and yeah pull together why it's essential and and so we had pieces like I, I just want to highlight Judith Williams. She submitted this really, really, uh, I don't even know how to talk about it because it's like over a decade of work. She's been engaged with this project um, and she's written this beautiful piece. It's a piece of journalism. It's talking about um, uh, when rock and ice above Elliott Creek launched itself 6,000 feet down from the Mathco ice fields into a glacial lake. And so it created this huge um, slide. This I think it's called a floodplain or a washout and had massive impact on like the salmon being able to spawn like eggs were co- covered and crushed. And so she describes the immediate impacts from a slide like that. And then she contextualizes it into the region and how climate change and hydro projects and forestry are all kind of converging on this, on this region, these territories and creating these massive disasters, which sometimes go unwitnessed because there aren't necessarily people out there all the time. And, so she's been engaged with this work for over a decade, like um, from a very artistic place, but also working with science and working with um, the Hakai Institute who give her water samples. And then she creates watercolor paintings with creek water. And so in this book, we had we had this there's this one page where it's so much white space. I'm I'm holding it open right now. And on one side, on the left hand side. There's in the middle a rectangle with two concentric rings um, painted, and that's Elliott Creek in 2010. Um, And it's just very barely you can see the lines, so it's very, very subtle. And then on the next page is Elliott Creek from 2021, I believe. And you can just see it's it's kind of this sort of hourglass shape covers the whole page and you can see the shape very clearly because the color is is dark and it's like a a muddy sort of um, yellowy brown color and so the difference between what the Elliott Creek water looked like 10 years ago and then today in this painting is enormously apparent and so for me like holding this page open um, it's beautiful because there's so much white space, but then you can ground into the seriousness of what this, you know, superficially, it, it could seem very simple or beautiful or elegant and, and whatever, you just don't think about it. But once you know the story behind why she's painting, um, the way she's painting, you understand that this is, it's got, you know, loss and grief and it's carrying immense change that we can't even we don't even know yet what the results of this change are going to be and then so I was you know reflecting on this piece and then and then of course the floods just happened and this we'd already laid out the, the journal and so we're talking about the same stuff but it's so much more present in people's minds now because it wasn't just 
you know, a mudslide or a huge landslide that happened, you know, in Hamalco territory where people maybe aren't paying attention, but it was, you know, knocking out our highways, flooding communities and, and people are suffering and continue to. And so her piece now is recontextualized because she's calling attention to this thing that we're now all paying attention to finally. So I really appreciate that kind of level of she just sent us the piece. We had no idea, um, you know, that the floods were going to be happening and that this piece would be even more important to consider. Um, But so many of the pieces in this journal are in conversation like that. They're in conversation with what we would call this moment or now, um, even though they span maybe decades of work or art practice. Uh, And so it was just, it felt like even though people were just sending us whatever was on the top of their mind, um, it actually creates this really cohesive piece that is really, um, yeah, like all of the pieces somehow are pressing up against each other in ways that we couldn't even have predicted. But it, we're all here and responding to the land. We're responding to what we're hearing in the news. We're responding to our anxieties and to our grief and to our joy. And, and yeah, there's an amazing coherence to that in the journal, I think. I was also just thinking about Eris's piece when you were talking about um, Judith's and how much comes up around ecological degradation and social change uh, I mean both because of and on both sides because of um, social change bring oh man I'm not going to be able to articulate this right now (laughs) I'm sorry radio listeners Um, anywho I think you probably got what I what I mean (laughs) I haven't slept much in a couple days Um, but uh, yeah her piece is like very much tied into those losses as well and I guess what I really wanted to say about that is that like in our interview she talked about years and years and years of practice like when you ask why is art important why is it essential like it doesn't necessarily have to be that like each piece of art is holding this huge amount of meaning it's that it's like working towards maybe having a piece that's like is really relevant in the moment and like having the um joy and and like freedom around art making for there to be possibility in that way okay bye (laughs) (laughs) so is your uh is iris's piece only an interview or do you also have some of her art in there yeah there are paintings as well (laughs) there are um three large um well one is a like full page full two-page spread of one of her paintings of um, whales off the coast of Greenland. And she talked about having just sat on the shore for hours and hours while she visited, um, watching, like, you know, watching the whales feeding and being silent and also the walking and how, like, those practices made this possible, made these paintings possible, those practices of just being silent and watching and sitting. And the paintings are amazing. And I also, and the paintings of icebergs too, like and how she talks about them being kind of monuments of 
loss because they're constantly shifting and changing. They're like these large sculptures that are turning and breaking and are in constant motion, constant loss. And her paintings of them, I think, really show, show that well. They're beautiful. I really hear this theme um, of witness witnessing coming up a lot, which I feel like is a big theme of this time. Um, and so um, I, are you seeing that in other pieces? And do you, did you guys contribute um, uh, pieces to this other than we, we heard um, your beautiful uh, intro, which is quite a profound piece? Um, I'm wondering about those con kinds of contributions. Yeah, so... Um Ju Julian and I are both in this uh, in this uh, journal, both in our writing at the beginning, and Julian did the the cover for the journal, and I just think it's it's just absolutely perfect because um, I thought it would be I like this is something. Julian was a little bit, I guess, resistant to, but I was really firm that I thought that <laughs> that she should do the cover because I thought it needed to be a piece that was created just for the journal, not something that was already in the journal and then highlighted on the cover, but something that could hold the whole message of the journal and create an invitation to open the journal and, um, yeah, just encapsulate sort of what we were trying to create with windows and so this piece that she came up with was just to me absolutely perfect it's it's so the dark island like it's mysterious and it has this kind of connotation of windows where you're looking through the trees so it's um these giant cedar trees uh that go off into the distance it's a foggy kind of forest in grays and blacks and and a little bit of light coming through. So you're being invited, I think, to look through the windows in between the trees um, and see that there's light or mystery or fog or something ahead. And it kind of pulls you in like you really want to go explore what's over there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think the immensity of the trees <laughs> is, is really... <laughs> You're really hamming it up here. I'm not. <laughs> I really love this piece so much. Um, but yeah, I think it works really well for kind of setting the tone. It kind of gets you in this mood where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go on this journey with these, these people. <laughs> um, and then we're also, we created a piece together. Um, that's, where is it? At the very front? Yeah, it's somewhere in oh, here. Oh, no, you're not talking about the the very front. No. This is your work. We okay. decided not to put page numbers, which, <laughs> you know, I think is conceptually think, really oh, great, it but it, it's practically, it's pr for this purpose, yeah. It's just before <laughs> I land back. This is Beatrix's piece, but you just talked about my drawing, so I can talk about this. <laughs> We met one day last winter and we took some photographs while we danced and played with this um, idea of 
like separateness because of COVID, like not being able to touch each other, not being able to be in as close contact with each other. And um, yeah, we were sort of dancing and playing with that and photographing ourselves. We took Polaroids and um, photographs with Beatrix's camera as well. And the photographs that are a part of this piece are photographs of our hands, mine on one side of the glass and Beatrix's on the other. And you can see my face and I'm staring out at them. And it's really beautiful. And then they wrote a poem that goes with it. And it's also really beautiful. Yeah, it's really their piece. But I um, danced with them to make it. <laughs> Anne, can, can we have the poem? Yeah, for sure. Do you want to read it? You can read it. Okay. <clears throat> I want to touch your skin with my skin, kiss the shadows of your face. I reach for you, but remembering all that is unspoken, I withdraw. It's not such a simple thing to hold all of this inside. I am a slowly sagging vessel. Will the time come again when that which is walled between us has all dissolved away? Thank you. And did you create that poem then, at that time? Yeah, it was created, I think, to express uh, the longing that I think the photographs also are kind of working with and a way to kind of talk about a longing not just for another body or a relationship or even just touch, you know, <laughs> but also a longing for... Um, ancestry, lineage, and meaning, like the meaning that used to be so existing, like it, it used to just be, you know, like I spoke about this a little bit earlier, but with the Gaelic songs that we're learning, like we, another teaching that we learned was that our ancestors would wake up basically, and the first thing they would do is start singing and, and praising the world around them, and, and it was just like the culture just was so much about song, and, and everything that you did had some kind of creative element to it, which was often song or craft. Um, and so even in this piece, when we're talking about longing, um, we're talking about, I think the meaning anyway, that, that I want to have as a human, like I want to have a meaningful life and I want the actions that I take and the relationships I'm in to be beautiful and meaningful. And sometimes I just feel like I keep hitting walls, um, walls of my own, my own stuff, like my own traumas, my own boundaries, my own fears, things like that, and then those of others. And it just feels like the walls just keep coming up. Um, and so they prevent the kind of intimacy that I imagine could be there more easily if we were, um, I don't know holding each other differently. Yeah. It feels like such an uh, appropriate poem for for like, this time. It's like me taking and making so specific this feeling that's been stretched you know, for all of us over like two years at least, if not our whole lives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, are there other pieces that really um, kind of came out and spoke to you specifically um, about 
you know, this time or this act of, of witnessing um, that you want to highlight or or, you know, things that came out in interviews. I mean, I love interviewing. It's just like such an incredible um, peek into people's lives. And I find it like I've not ever met a person or had a person, you know, come into the station or gotten into a deep conversation, um, you know, through this lens where I haven't just felt like I could go on and on and um, and you know, in fascination with them. So I'm wondering if you had any of those moments that came up that were maybe, like maybe a little surprising, like, oh, I didn't know that was there. Um, totally. The interviewing, like I'm not um, as, like I couldn't go on and on, I don't think. Um, but I found interviewing so wonderful because it's like a gift from the person you're interviewing that they're sharing their experience of art with you and their whole practice with you. And it's so exciting. I definitely felt like with both Iris and Morgan, those are the two people who I did like longer form interviews with that I could have gone on for longer than I did. And both interviews were more than two hours long, which was kind of a nightmare to then transcribe. And like, I just like stared at the recordings for a very long time being like, I don't want to transcribe these gosh darn recordings. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I felt like I could have kept going. I mean, they, most people who are really creative and like Iris, it was just like to hear about her whole life and art making and how she would just go from, you know, one thing to the next, always getting inspired by something new and looking for new ways to communicate whatever it may have been that she was exploring at a given time in her life. Um, it was really wonderful. And I definitely was like, this is a part of the process that I want to keep doing. Like, I want to keep engaging with people about their art practices like this and like building up bolstering art as like this very important thing to have a practice of for some of us, like not for everyone necessarily. Um, Yeah, I got. I had the pleasure of interviewing Randy Louie, um, and he's a carver and a painter, and the work that he does is just absolutely beautiful. Um, he shared with us the logo that he had done this summer for the Clahous Wilderness Resort, and it's this. Yeah, it's a. It's this beautiful bear, and it's just so full of. I, I don't know this is my <laughs> this is my take on it but it's it's very elegant and it's so full of strength and it just to look at it here in the journal it just pops and just is so yeah you just look at it and it's so strong and it was really wonderful to speak with Randy um he's so generous in the interview and he shared so much about his own journey in coming back here into the territory and uh reintegrating with his family here and and um he shared teachings in this piece that it's just such a gift to receive um and especially I think you know he was reflecting on COVID as you know uh, the lessons that their community have learned from having dealt with and had to live through and try to survive smallpox epidemic and how you know, a lot of those teachings helped them with COVID and just being able to stay in place in community and have enough from the land and the water to to make it not necessary to have to leave the community was really, 
I think inspiring to me just because it was a good reminder of <laughs> how reliant so many of us still are here like we don't have our own boats often and and we spend a lot of time going over to Vancouver Island or to the mainland to try to stock up and I'm sure you've talked about this in other interviews in more detail but for me it was again a reminder that um, the place like this place is so full of abundance and I'm just a baby here seven years and so I'm still finding you know my way with how to actually live in the abundance instead of just bring my old ways of being into the island like how can I just stay here and that was so I think that was a real gift to talk to Randy about his experiences with that. And, um, yeah, I think <laughs> there's this beautiful picture. I just love it so much of a drum that he's working on. I want to describe it. Uh, it's a full page photograph. And in the top corner is a triangle. And you can see the words of a song in Ayajutham. Um, and then there's a COVID surgical kind of mask or what are those called yeah the blue uh, medical masks that people wear up in the corner it's a triangle too and then this stunning drum um, frame with a drum ready to be uh, sewn on and it looks like a sun Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's a strong triangle shape at the bottom corner too and so it's just these really strong shapes and the language is there in this drum which is like just beaming with light and <laughs> I just love this photo so much who took the photos who took that photo it is Randy did yeah wow yeah. so on top of all the other art uh, <laughs> he's sharing he yeah. is actually uh, a photographer I mean, yes. he's a beautiful yeah. beautiful art photographer that the, they're spectacular all on their own yeah and did he do the like who like who photographed all the different artists? Did they photograph themselves? Did you send people out? Yeah, they sent um, all the artists sent. The only thing that we did ourselves was Julian walked around or drove around the island and took some pictures of um, the beautiful signs that um, the Black and Indigenous Lives Matter signs. Those are the ones that Julian took. But other than that, the other artists sent us their work um as photographs or uh word documents and and then we formatted it into the journal but yeah I think the you're talking about essential art and what is essential and I think in this journal I have to say that for me this piece that Autumn wrote um about black and indigenous lives matter action in the form of art. So it's the very last piece. And um, it was about this sign making practice that a group of, of people here have um, started in response to black, black indigenous lives matter movement. And this piece, I think if it's okay, I would like to read it. Absolutely. I'd love that. <clears throat> so it says, how do we engage with racism in our communities? BALM signs are a display of solidarity. The Black Lives Matter movement is a global movement. As such, it's essential for it to be explored and expressed in every community. In so-called Canada, ongoing racism towards Indigenous folks is felt strongly. So the movement here has become Black and Indigenous Lives Matter. However, 
As some community members choose to be in solidarity with the Black and Indigenous Lives Matter movement, making signs and placing them on the roadside, others have been actively stealing and vandalizing these works of art and solidarity. Using the cover of night, the culprit attempts to silence a global scream for liberation. This is exactly why the Black and Indigenous Lives Matter movement needs to exist in the first place. Racism is not inherent. It is taught. This campaign of public art and activism has made it very obvious to those of us paying attention that racism is still being taught in our community. This is not acceptable. Art can be a platform for expression, education, learning about how other people feel, and also opening up people's feelings. But how do we respond when art is twisted into becoming a lightning rod and an interface for racism and intolerance to express itself so visibly with impunity? Our community is made up of many different types of people who come from very different cultural backgrounds and circumstances. Diversity is our strength. It is our resilience. Much like in other ecosystems, the more diversity and variance we nurture in our human community, the better conditions we'll create for collaboration, th survival, and thrivance. So how do we work within the reality of our diversity of experiences and perspectives? How do we coexist with hateful, oppressive, and traumatizing views? The people who are removing the signs have not made themselves known. There, is, there has been no opening for dialogue around the harm caused by their beliefs and actions. As a community cultivating shared values around respect, dignity, and justice, it is crucial that we show up loudly with an anti-racist liberatory orientation here and everywhere. The difficult conversations need to be had. Let it be known that racism and oppression will not be tolerated. Activism is exhausting. To have one's nervous system on alert at all times, constantly showing up for discouraging conversations with close-hearted people. And yet, people are dying every day because of white supremacy and racism. Every community must reckon with this reality. It is heartening to know that many people in this community are part of the Black and Indigenous Lives Matter movement in a good way. We will continue to make signs. We will continue to amplify this movement with our words and actions. Black and Indigenous lives matter. This message will be seen and heard in our community and in all communities, with respect and reverence for all who support the movement. Hmm. I think it's a nice um, kind of reminder of, again, one of the essential uh, elements of art, which is to be on a cutting edge. Um, and how little, uh, like what else do we have to be on the cutting edge, like in community, right? Like Because certainly not government. I mean, when has government ever been on the cutting edge? That's not, you know, like what we have are either individuals or we can come together through something called art, which is theoretically a way to be both on the cutting edge and also reach out and not be alone so that you're, um, yeah, and I, 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 listening to that, I was really thinking about um, the photographer Maplethorpe and um, when his photographs, which um, were often uh, quite erotic and, uh, and would often have um, men in erotic situations together, um, and they were very artistic, and if it had been a woman um, or, you know, maybe, you know, not clearly showing uh, gay love we would have would be like it's fine but because it was at the time showing something that was so taboo um 
the like the outrage that came around that much of which happened i lived in ohio at the time and it, you know the, the, the museums of cincinnati like got shut down because they displayed it and all this sort of radical stuff and i think um maybe we in a small community uh, have less opportunities to practice the role of art as helping continue to to guide us towards uh, a known terrain. And in some weird other way, we also have more ways to potentially practice because we are constantly practicing what I believe is the art of neighborliness here, right? Which is fundamentally to figure out a way to connect and depend and be in community with people that we do not agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, that just those were the reflections that came up when um, in that piece, which, uh, you know, I don't know, I probably as an interview should not be <laughs> like sharing all of my expressions, uh, uh, reflections, but I appreciate that. Um, and that's an interesting contribution. And Julian has been t- turning again and again to this one beautiful piece in the middle um, of um, the, the, the numberless uh, magazine. <laughs> I guess I just wanted to respond to what you were just saying to you made me think of like some of the art actions that happened to raise awareness around AIDS, like there was one art action that happened where people whose loved ones had died went to the, the um, what is the like big in Washington, the big, the Pentagon, or no, maybe it's not the Pentagon, but like some of the, yeah, maybe it was the Pentagon, I'm gonna forget though. Um, and they dumped the ashes of their loved ones on the grass of the, the front of these government buildings. And other like, beautiful art actions where like funerals were held for people as they were still alive um like marches um to say like i am going to die because there isn't action happening on this and when you talk about like yeah we do have to do a lot of tiptoeing around here like if there is something we see that is hard to address that might you know make us seem less neighborly um and I know, you know, some really brave people who've done that and taken a lot of shit for it because, sorry if I'm not allowed to swear, oh dear, <laughs> because, because of not being polite and neighborly. And I do think we, it, it, there, you're right, there is like an art to that and in, in caring for each other, like regardless of differences. But at the same time, there's maybe a little bit too much where we're not like, you know, doing these actions that are going to be gross or like painful, but that um, need to happen. I definitely am um, too polite, personally. I've been opening this to. <laughs> I've, been, I've been opening this to um, Catherine um, Catherine Strasser, Strasser's piece, Liminal Flora. Uh, she's a very dear friend of ours who's just moved back to Germany temporarily (laughs) hopefully Um, and she's had three visits here and the last one being the longest but the second one that she the second time that she visited in 2018 she was doing her um, master's dissertation her uh, for her MFA um, her master's in fine art and she gathered, um, she made all of these incredible, like they're long, 
dyed pieces of felt with they're dyed with mushrooms and lichens and about a hundred different plants from the island from Cortez and then the images from the dark island I should say um, and then the images that you see are of the piece actually hanging in Germany in what is a a, a factory a, an etching an etching factory um, etching or I, I'm not exactly sure I know that it's called Bezran, <laughs> the, the factory, and it means to etch. Um, and it's incredible because it's like this palette of this place, um, it, you know, in this far it, in Germany, far away. But it really feels like home when you look at it. Like it really feels like this place. The colors are like perfect for this place, and I love this piece so much. Like, and yeah, it, it is also like. Um, right now making me feel like the, isolate, the isolation that we have from being in places like this or and like for many reasons that I won't travel to Germany <laughs> and see my friend's art installed. Um, anywho, I just wanted to ha highlight that one. I really, really love it as well. There's a, I mean, I kind of love everything in here, so it's hard to, <laughs> hard to <laughs> choose specific pieces. But yeah, I I feel like I have to do a moment of um, maybe it's Beatrixing, where just like going off on this piece a tiny bit because it's hard to imagine over the radio just how like the depth and vibrancy of of these colors. You know, when people say it was dyed with mushrooms, I'm always like, oh, it's gonna be like gray brown, you know. Um, but this is not it at all. It's truly, as Julian said, the colors of the landscape of Cortez um, with those with greens and almost mahogany and yellow and brown. So um, it's it's quite something. Uh, and I just want it to hang here. <laughs> yeah. uh, Maybe it will. Yeah, why not? Yeah, we have to. <laughs> I think I'm not sure where where Catherine's actually storing the piece, but I mean, I think it would make a beautiful exhibit either at the Old Schoolhouse Gallery or even the Cortez Museum. Um, I think because it is, it isn't just a beautiful art installation, but it's also a piece of our natural history. Um, and she created a map that goes along with it that for every single place where she collected a plant and she only would collect plants that grow uh, prolifically. So she she wasn't interested in damaging any um, really sensitive ecosystems. She would only take, you know, small amounts, just what she would need in order to create a, a really nice vibrant dye of really prolific plants. And so she, as she was collecting, she would mark where she was and then the location of her collection went in an art journal but then it also is tagged onto the strips themselves so it's not just this beautiful sculptural piece but it's also in some ways this map like an actual geographical map of all the different places on Cortez that have these just gorgeous plants in and of themselves but then they also create this yeah this human plant interaction of the dye and the the that whole process is is quite the beautiful alchemy. <laughs> I love the complexity of it, the the layers and layers, right? That you can just I don't know stimulates your mind as well as your vision and and 
So you are listening to Folk U Radio on CKTZ 89.5 FM. We are talking today uh, about Windows, the the newest arts journal um, from the Dark Island Arts Collective, the first uh, arts journal of the Dark Island's Art Collective. And I have no idea whether we've had a previous arts journal like this on, um, on Cortez. Uh, Howell was somewhat like uh, they definitely were focused on creative writing and poetry and there was some art but also it was like a little bit broader too I think um, than we're really just focused in on arts and there was more like social political and a lot of advertisements in <laughs> who knows what the future will hold for uh, I'm going to uh, have a moment of music so that if you want to call in and ask questions you may do so listener at 250-935-0200 and then if our guests need to go to the washroom they can do that too <laughs> not that I think they do alright let's see what we're going to play here There's a little black spot on the sun today It's the same old thing as yesterday There's a black hat caught in a high tree
Welcome back. You are listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. Sorry, that was a rough transition there from that song to, to this moment. Um, but, uh, you know, there you go. Um, so today we are talking all about the island's newest arts journal. It's called Windows, and it has been published by the Dark Island Arts Collective. I thought maybe Beatrix and Julian, we could start with a little, we could continue with a little description of why Dark Island, um, I, I love the name, uh, and I want to say it over and over, but but what what was behind that? Okay, um, this is a piece that I'm just going to read a part of that um, Beatrix and I co-authored. Um, so I'm just going to jump in here. The name Dark Island of Dark Island Arts Collective was inspired by a song. A group of friends were getting together to sing folk ballads from the British Isles, and one of the songs that we sang regularly was called The Dark Island, about missing an island home in the Hebrides. Do you want to sing it? Yeah, it would okay. be <laughs> <really fun. laughs> Away to the westward I'm longing to be Where the beauties of heaven unfold by the sea Where the sweet purple heather blooms fragrant and free On a hilltop high above the dark island Oh, I love my childhood, I'm dreaming of thee. As the steamer leaves Oban and passes Tyree, soon I'll capture the magic that lingers for me. When I go once more upon the dark island. Um, So we started using the name The Dark Island to denote this beloved island because the song reminded us of how it feels to return to our homes here after being away. And since most of us in the singing group were settlers whose ancestors come from the dark islands of northern Europe, this name helped to remind us of the loss of homelands, both those of our ancestors and those whose lands were stolen here. We still say the dark... Do you want to read this part? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) We still say the dark island when we speak of this island without presuming that this name will resonate for others, but as a way for us to call into question the continued use of the name Cortez, which was assigned to this land by colonizers many years ago. Cortez Island received its current name in 1792 during the expedition of Galeano and Valdez after Hernan Cortez, a violent Spanish colonizer who orchestrated the killing of thousands of indigenous people leading to the fall of the Aztec Empire in Mexico in the 1500s. Millions more Aztec people were killed by a smallpox epidemic spread by Cortez and his men. Names have power. They can focus our imagination around a specific concept or a set of values. And we do not condone the actions of Hernan Cortez, nor the actions of similar colonizers in these territories, and do not therefore wish to continue invoking his name every time we reference this island. So... Um, yeah, the people who named the island Cortez didn't even step foot on the island. Um, they just assigned it a dead person's name, uh, a dead person who had killed indigenous people in a very similar way as indigenous people were killed here in this territory with smallpox 
and brutal military violence. And yeah, so we were just like, we can't keep invoking that name and it's not appropriate for us to assign our own name. Um, so what we've kind of started to do is just say the Dark Island, which is, uh, yeah, it's just sort of a way to speak of the island without presuming to name it, I guess. I'm just describing it. Yeah. Describing it because it is dark. <laughs> uh, it, it's such an evocative name, and mm-hmm. it really evokes for me just how the, that intro said, the beauty of the kind of like how oppressive it can feel and also how much we all long for it when we're gone. And I think that is home, mm-hmm. um, right? Which is like the thing that when you're there, you it's you can kind of see the dark side and in the way, you know, it can feel a little suffocating and a little small, a little close. Um, and then as soon as you're gone, <laughs> your heart is just longing, longing um, for that. So, uh, yeah, very evocative. I like it a lot. Um so um, this might be uh, a nice time to talk a little bit about where people now can run out and get their copy um, of this. And yeah, where do they go? What do they do? Um, we're going to be at the Christmas market tomorrow. Um, Beatrix and I are both going to be there. And <laughs> and we'll have about we have about thirty copies left right now that are not accounted for, or a little bit less than that actually. So yeah, that we probably will sell out of the first run tomorrow. Um, and then if we do have any left, they will be in Marnie's bookstore, um, and you can grab one there as well. And if we have a like, if there is a lot of um, want for them after we sell out on this first run, we will definitely print another run. Um, and what and what's the future? Will will there be more? What needs to happen for there to be more? Um, we so we were just trying to I, I think in on the journal it says that everybody all the work that was offered to create this publication by editors, designers, advisors, and artists was gifted, and so we, we were able to print the magazine with the microgrant funds, and we were hoping that through the sales we would make enough so that we could uh, do another publication or another run of this. We could print another, just just to kind of keep it rolling, <laughs> so we can just make at least enough to um, do another printing or to print the next publication. So, yeah, we, Morgan and, and, and the two of us are going to try to figure out some kind of website at some point probably and I think that'll make it a bit more efficient to track orders Um, just because we know we have a lot of people who might be longing to purchase one of these journals who aren't living here full time and and maybe need to get a hold of us to have it mailed to them Um, I don't think we're going to do any kind of subscription or anything because that puts a lot of pressure on us to have to put something out within a certain time frame and it was um, like when we got the grant was in the springtime and we were, we were putting the finishing touches on the layout, um, in November, early November. So we needed that amount of time for ourselves, um, for our own creative process with the magazine. And then we also needed to have enough time and space for, uh, all the artists here to contribute work in their own, like in a time frame that worked for them, which, you know, for some people, 
you can't respond to a call for art immediately like you need some time to think about what's appropriate to share and what you're willing to share or to be struck with inspiration and I think this publication windows we did volume one of it I don't know that we'll do volume two of it next I think we really wanted to examine isolation and private art practice with this this journal but I think uh, what we're talking about doing next is something a bit different. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, we've just been um, imagining doing something that's a lot more collaborative, like potentially where um, we prompt each other, where like as a larger group we come up with a prompt or where there's almost a chain of prompting. Like we, we've talked a bit about how to kind of um, expand the idea of exquisite corpse and then like have a publication that um, will be like a document of that of that process um, with a group of artists and to invite or put a call out for people to come together um, to work on something collaboratively that feels really exciting for both of us right now mm-hmm. I think um you know, as we've talked to the artists about having these lifelong art practices, and I think you would ask Amanda um, just about what does it take to like maintain an art practice for many years or start an art practice if, if it's something that's been calling or kind of pulling at you. And I think I would say that being in relationship with other artists um, is a big part of it. What I heard is like being feeling feeling justified in answering that call um, without without hesitation. Like you just have to accept that you're being called for a reason to create something, and and then you need to be around other people who understand that because um, we do find ourselves surrounded sometimes with people who don't understand that and that can be very painful and so yeah I think doing collaborative art like Julian was just talking about um I think that's one way to start is join the fun with us on our next uh journal we don't know what it's going to be an experiment again we don't know exactly what will come of it but this type of experimentation I think can launch um a life a lifetime of community supported art and if people already know that they want to be part of whatever is coming or they think they want to be part of whatever's coming, is there a way for them to get in touch, be on an email list? You know? <laughs> yeah, they could email either one of us. And we've made quite a few recent Tideline posts, but we could also we will also make another one like specific to this call out for sure when that time comes. Great. And you can always email the letter U at folku, F-O-L-K-U dot C-A, and I'll put you in touch with uh, any guest who wants to be in touchable, <laughs> such as uh, these two. So that's a great way. But I don't want to completely let um, the two of you off this question of what else you um, uh, heard or glimpsed um, as far as creating art practice, staying in practice with art. You talk to all these amazing artists, you yourselves are figuring out how to create art through time. Um, What else did you glean? I really like this idea of one kind of having community, right? So being 
uh, inspired in some way, which I'm sure can look lots of different ways, but you've just added one tool into that. What else came out um, with people when they were talking about what, like what served their practice um, over the years? Um, I think a lot of different things. And it's like all about people's circumstance. Like, do they have a community around them that mirrors art practice as holding value or do they not? And then how do they make that happen? How do they make continuity happen if they don't have that? I, I um, came into my mind Janet Frame's autobiography, An Angel at My Table, and she didn't have that sort of mirroring at all. She was an incredibly creative person who was institutionalized because of her expressions of her emotion. And she, her book, her autobiography is very much about her journey to have continuity and creative practice in it for her was all about habit and just like that it's this thing that it does it is about like to believe in its value like from within herself and do it daily and make it a habit I definitely feel like that with my art practice too if I make like or with any practice if I'm just like 30 minutes a day I'm going to do this no matter what like I'm going to sit down and play through songs or I'm going to write poems or I'm going to draw or whatever and make it a practice, then it's like something that you long for too. And I think in terms of like this um, next um, potential um, publication, like having that mirroring and accountability within a group of people, like holding each other accountable and having the mirroring of, wow, art is really valuable, is like a really beautiful thing to create to like build that strength in ourselves too. I think like for someone like Iris, she was like right away as a little kid her dad was like here's some paints here's some space you can paint beside me and and make your own creations like as a little kid you know so right away having that sense of like art is valuable within my family or music is valuable within my family but yeah not everyone has that so it's important to make space for that in our communities i think i think one thing i noticed also was that um the people we talked to and just in our own explorations was that people aren't like, I think if you're going to sustain an art practice over a lifetime or many years or integrate it into your life in a meaningful way that doesn't take away from all the other essential things of survival, but actually is integrated into the essentialness of surviving. Um, you need to be able to shift into different mediums like if you're not finding your inspiration or you're not finding that you can make time for one medium, um, find a way to make another channel uh, in using a different medium, maybe more appropriate to wherever you are in your life. Um, maybe, you know, like people as they age, their bodies change and some of the really demanding types of art can't be done anymore. Um, I think a lot of people have to step away from sculpture practice or like filmmaking is something I used to do. Um, as a career and I had to step away from it because I was just emotionally burnt out from it. Um, and so you have to, I think you have to honor that there's going to be like a cycle and you're going to have periods of time where you're creating a lot of work and there's periods of time where you're creating consistent uh, work. And then there's periods of time where you're going through something huge and not making anything tangible, but it's still churning something inside of you. And I think to accept the different cycles and to trust that you will move into um, 
maybe a more outward facing or tangible cycle at some point. Uh, I think it is important to be with wherever you're at and, and to stay curious. I think that's another thing that came up is the same kind of curiosity that pushes biologists and, um, uh, Astrophysicists, thank you. <laughs> and children and anybody out into the world to just like gaze at things with wonder and why is that the way it is? Like, I think that's what fuels an art practice as well. Is um, so if you're not feeling curious and you're feeling like your curiosity is, is missing, like that's going to be a thing that I think an art practice will bring back for you and, and will feed it. Yeah, that's totally true. Like having that practice and then something happens and you're like, whoa, like where did that come from? And it was just like in doing that process and having that habit that this thing came out and you're like, whoa, where did that? Yeah, it's really magical, I think. I I love the idea of of practicing curiosity as like the heart of of an artist of being an artist right because we can all become curious so we can all own that part that artistic part of ourselves which i think is such a thing that we have to as we progress as grown-ups um fight against <laughs> this idea that we're not good enough to call ourselves an artist or to claim that space so i i really like that idea of stepping into the curiosity that we all own and how you were talking about exploring with different mediums I certainly find I went to I got my master's from a fine art school um, and so I was a writer but surrounded by all these like amazing fine artists and a lot of people who dabbled between the two um, and but I always felt really like oh no like I can exist in this world but if I cross over you know <laughs> And, you know, and that, that's one of the intimidating things about, you know, expl like exploring visual arts at a master's level, right, at a big university versus, you know, I, I like this idea of the folkness. Like, here we are, we're living our lives, we are allowed to express in different mediums and what we share is the curiosity. Thank you so much. I am really excited about this next adventure, too, that you're proposing. Uh, so I hope you'll keep us all abreast of that possibility. Um, hopefully there'll be future micro grants. There will be future radio shows. Anytime you want to come on and sing, you made my day. There is nothing that makes me happier than spontaneous song on the radio. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, any last um, words of either inspiration or connectivity or future that you want to uh, leave our listening audience with? That's a lot of pressure, I realize. So. <laughs> I think, I mean, I I just want to leave with gratitude, um, both to the, to the people who were uh, courageous in some ways to share their work in such a public way. I think that's so generous and also it's frightening. <laughs> and so I think I'm also really grateful for people who have been buying the journals, obviously, and appreciating them because um, that's that's a, also a conversation, an art practice conversation is, is um, appreciating art when it's created and that's so needed. And I appreciate all the support that we've received so far. And um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm thankful to live in 
this community for many reasons, but definitely working on this journal brought me out of a personal kind of dark spiral. Um, I think this last couple months especially have been just so uh, overwhelming to feel so connected to what other people are thinking about and creating and and feel aligned with my neighbors and friends in, in a way that I hadn't felt in a couple of years with um, all the separation of the pandemic and everything. Yeah, that was really well said. I am also very grateful <laughs> and um, excited for the possibilities of this. And yeah, just like opening up possibility um, feels really important here because things can sometimes feel narrow. So just like I'm excited for anyone who's listening who wants to partake and um, become more connected um, to us <laughs> and arts um, to get in touch. Thank you so much, Beatrix Julian, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Neighbor, for joining us for another Folk You Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM. If you are as excited as I am by the um, beautiful uh, concept of of the Windows Art Journal, of the future possibilities of the Dark Island Arts Collective, and you want to reach out, you can look for more information on the Tideline, which is CortezIsland.com, or as all always, please do reach out to me and they will help get you connected. And you can do that at you at folku.ca. That's the letter U at F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Uh, next week, we'll be hearing from Folklife, another um, uh, island, but not this island, um, further south island, maybe a little bit more sunshiny um, <laughs> arts type journal. So we truly believe that art is essential. Thanks for helping make that happen, neighbor. Oh, that was a poor transition. <laughs> That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Radio dot C-A. brain's almost always got Something lame it's got to say It's embarrassing All the stupid things I can't think of To think about Is there anything That could really bring My mind back To my senses Don't get me wrong I am thankful
you feel like howling on a night like this, if you feel like howling at the moon, then this is your night. Take a little time for sunshine. Take a whole lot of time for love. Take time to praise and thank heaven up above. Take your life as it may come, cause boy, it'll be gone soon. Take a little time to hide at the moon. Solid ground, you gotta take time to take a real good look at everything you find. Take your life as it may come, cause ball it'll be gone soon. Take a little time for how never move. Take a little time for sunshine, take a whole lot of time for love. Take time to praise and thank heaven up above. Gotta make music, gotta make music. Raise your voice with joy every tunes and a medley will do for you. The first one, uh, I mentioned John Hartford earlier. This is another one of his songs. He did this on a record called Aerial Plane. And I 
I really believe without that record, there wouldn't be anything what they call new grass music or progressive stuff. John was one of the kings of this. And uh, thinking about Vassar Clements tonight, we want to dedicate this song to Vassar Clements, who played the fiddle on this record. Cheerful, free for all, and I light up a room. I'm the color me, happy girl, miss live and let live. And when they're out for blood, I'll ha 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 win. The man behind the counter looks like he's got a half a dozen places he'd rather be. Furthermore, it looks like he's prepared to take it all out on me. Buddy, I don't really care what your problem is Just don't make it mine Come on kids, let's all hold hands And pretend we're having a good time Kids on TV playing at death, brandishing their cold cuts with their ghostly makeup and their heroin breath. And all the little fishes are flapping wildly on their hooks. While all the top critics find great meaning in the telephone book. And the little emperor, he has no clothes, so he can't come out to play. And besides which, life is suffering, and he likes it that way. with an army of ordinary hipsters. And I 
guess I'd be out of the job. So I guess that's out of the picture. Cause I'm a pixie, I'm a paper doll, I'm a cartoon. I'm a chipper, cheerful, free for all. I light up a room. I'm a color me, happy girl, Miss Live and Let Live. And when they're out for blood, I roll Funk from Manson's Hall. You are listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ, 89.5 FM. Sharing the love in the Salish Sea. Excuse me, miss, I know you're quite frightened already, but I'd like to ask you a couple questions about what happened in the park today. Oh, go right ahead. And uh, any information that you have for us, it will be so helpful. 
And we were just wondering if there was anything about this person, uh, perhaps the way he dressed or the way his hair was cut, that would help us so much in being able to find him. No, there was nothing really peculiar about him. I, he, are, he, you, are you sure? There, there must have been something, just something, just anything. It, it, it's, oh, no, he, did, he didn't have a turtleneck. He, no, bald? No, he wasn't bald. He small shoes? Didn't have a hair lip. He was... Cleft? No, not cleft either. Mm. Well, there was something about his face. Oh, please, what could it be? It's, I'm, I'm, it's so hard to describe. Anything will help us. He'd, um, it was somewhere, it wasn't a one eye, it wasn't a unibrow. It was more of a, uh, it was in the eye area. He, oh, I think he, old. he may have had one eye. Was it in the center of his head, man? Yes, I do, I do believe it was centered on his face. Was he perhaps a cyclops? I suppose he was. the Cyclops. He's darker than night, eclipsing the sun with his teeth and with his eye. Will you be caught in the place where the Cyclops resides? I guess Stanley Park is a pretty nice place to die. And what will you do when he's staring at you? In your flailing attempt to survive. Uh, Cyclops! 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 and the maples and the pines. The last thing you'll see as you horribly die is him taking a bite from his huge appetite that only the taste of your blood satisfies. Now brown, gray, green, or blue, which death will you choose? When he turns and presents his one eye. Skelter and skelter and stay out of sight. Just don't get caught out in Vancouver tonight. If you see Cyclops, then run for your 
before his very own Don't want your sister coming by Because the little girl She talked too much If she want to come by To visit us Tell her to meet her Sunday Down at the church Cause I don't want a soul baby If your mother want to visit us, tell her I get home about the break of day. And that's too late to visit anybody, baby. So tell her to please stay away. 